Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings, where we debate, discuss, and dive into law-related issues important to all of us. I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Heslin, Rothenberg, Farley, and Messier. We're here today on Miranda Warnings with the New York State Bar Association's 121st president, Michael Miller. Welcome, Michael. Hello, David. Thanks for being here on Miranda Warnings. I'd like to talk to you about your your Law Day remarks, uh, where you focused on free speech, freedom of expression, being the most fundamental of all rights in a free society. Why is free speech so important to our society? Well, free expression is really the bedrock upon which all of our other rights are built. When the um, Constitution was being uh, developed by our founding fathers, uh, uh, there was the um, concern that if you were to in any way inhibit free expression, uh, it would encourage in one shape, manner, or form tyranny. Uh, Because, uh, you know, a free press is the tyrant's uh, greatest enemy. Well, you mentioned in your in your speech and your remarks, you you raise graphic examples from history where uh, tyrants have uh, clamped down on free speech. You talk about Nazi Germany. You talk about the reign of terror after the French Revolution. You mentioned Lenin, Stalin, Mao. Uh, why do you bring up those? Uh, instances as part of uh, your examples for today? Well, language matters. And when you have uh, a phrase thrown around uh, like enemy of the people in reference to uh, the media, that's very, very dangerous. And history has shown us just how dangerous that language is. And and I was trying to, uh, there are many, many examples. I just picked out a a handful. Uh, In in Hitler's Germany, the minister of propaganda, Goebbels, said that anyone who wore a Jewish star was an enemy of the people. And we know where that all led, to some of the darkest days in in modern history. And during the French Revolution or after the French Revolution, the reign of terror, they actually created a a special tribunal to uh, prosecute enemies of the people. People were actually prosecuted for, uh, they they came up with a a, a crime, spreading false rumors, and uh, people were summarily uh, sent to the guillotine. In uh, Russia, uh, Lenin said that he found instructional the way the French uh, addressed the enemies of the people. He and Stalin used that phrase to describe anyone who disagreed with them, whether they were in the press, whether it were, were member, members of the, of, the, of the clergy who objected to uh, state-mandated atheism. 
Uh, and to be branded a, an enemy of, of the people was a very serious matter. You could end up in jail, you could end up in a gulag, or worse. In Mao's China, again, that phrase, enemy of the people, was used time and time again by Mao. And if you were branded an enemy of the people, uh, you were sent to these re-education camps. Really, really harsh stuff. So uh, that's why I, I wanted to remind folks that this is nothing new, this phrase. But when this phrase is used, blood often flows and people die. It's very dangerous. And when the President of the United States of America uses that phrase to talk about members of the press, he puts their safety and indeed possibly their lives in jeopardy. But more than that, he undermines a, a vital institution, the public's uh, perception of a vital institution, an institution that is critical to a free society. So what, what do you think would, will happen now that our president is using this enemy of the people term to our media? Um, obviously, as you've stated, historically a triggering word. Uh, a triggering phrase that has uh, many historic meanings. And now this is being applied to our media merely for reporting what they see to be uh, the facts. Um, how, why is it so dangerous to our uh, dialogue well, well, to be using this kind of term for well, the media? Well, um, before we get to that, why is it? Because I, I said a moment ago that it, it puts uh, safety their lives in jeopardy. This isn't just happening here, but what our president does gives license to the to uh, people all around the world uh, who uh, don't have the same dedication to a free society and democracy that we do. In uh, Myanmar, for instance, two um, two journalists are um, in jail. They've been jailed for sixteen months and counting for accurately reporting on the massacre by the Myanmar military on uh, Rohingya um, uh, Muslim, the Rohingya Muslim minority. In the Philippines, 30 journalists have been murdered in the last two years. 30 in two years. Um, this is very dangerous stuff. And it's, it's like a virus. It's contagious. So uh, what's going to happen here? Um, I think that it certainly um, emboldens uh, people who are, you know, there, there, there is a constant battle between our better angels and our, our worst, our most base, base instincts. And I, I believe that it, it gives license to and attracts uh, uh, those those worst instincts, that's dangerous. Well, it is dangerous. And how do we go about bringing out those better angels in our discourse? How do we go about bringing that out when we have this, uh, this contrast where we have the loudest voices and the voices that are getting the most attention are often the voices that are uh, the most negative? Well, I, I have no magic answer, but we in our profession, we are advocates. 
we build our, 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 our arguments, our cases with words. We're wordsmiths. We have a special obligation because we've taken an oath to preserve and to protect the Constitution of the United States of America. And how do we do that? Um, I believe that we need to we need to sometimes be reminded that we have this special role, that we have a special obligation. And whether it's dealing with our colleagues in practice, whether it's in our places of worship, in our, in our schools, with our families, we need to remind ourselves and remind everyone else that we can disagree without being disagreeable, that civility matters, that zealous advocacy and civility are not incompatible. I mean, that, that's an important role for us to play, I think. Now, um, have you seen, and I know that you've talked about uh, the deterioration of our public discourse, where rather than disagreeing with someone, as you said, disagreeing without being disagreeable, we're seeing demonizing uh, our adversaries. We're seeing uh, false statements by our government leaders about their adversaries. Um, oh, that's actually nothing new. If you're a student of history, it's just the level that it has reached is something that we have not witnessed in our lifetime. And why do you think that is? How have we gotten here? Why is public discourse so much more polarized, polarized than, it's, than it's been? Well, I, I think that there are a lot of, 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 of reasons, uh, a lot of avenues that have brought us to this place. Certainly, technology, the digital age that we live in, the 24-hour news cycle, and social media most especially. Uh, somebody can, can tweet a falsehood. They can tweet a distortion, a lie. And it goes into the social media echo chamber and gets repeated over and over and over and over again and builds like a snowball rolling down a hill. It builds. And um, that that's part of it. That's that's certainly part of it. And, you know, we've seen that uh, obviously in our 2016 election where foreign influences were uh, feeding uh, this kind of divisive uh, content in our social media. And what is most distressing is not just that foreign influences were doing it, but that the people of this country were buying into it and uh, believing it. Um, and what can we do to try to address some of these issues? I don't know. <laughs> the answer is I don't know. When you talk about the uh, what can we do about the foreign influences, um, there are a lot of things we might try to do. Um, I don't know if there's any simple solution. I think that the um, internet providers uh, have to better police their 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 sites. Um, you know, at, at the same time, there's there's a tension between doing that and 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 censoring free expression. But um, the I, I, social media is is the new frontier, and and uh, it's not going to go away. I, I think that we need to um, put the kind of 
resources into um, into uh, thinking about it that that, uh, that we haven't yet uh, invested. There's been a common theme in some of your president's messages uh, about the importance of the rule of law, uh, both obviously to lawyers but to our society. Um, and as uh, the leader of our legal profession, you talk about uh, the importance of the rule of law, but you also note that uh, tyrannical governments throughout history have relied on the rule of law uh, to uh, perpetuate uh, uh, their reign. And you note that we need something more well, than the, the rule of the, yeah, law. The thing that I've tried to get across is that it's more than the rule of law. It's the rule of law with morality. Certainly, you know, you, you look at, at, at uh, um, well, I, I, I mentioned uh, Nazi Germany and, 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 and Stalinist uh, Russia. They had all kinds of laws, and and people were pretty much law-abiding because the consequences were were severe, were were grotesquely severe in in some instances. So um, it's not just the blind rule of law; it's 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 the 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 underpinnings of it, and that's what makes us so incredibly special. Our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. They have made America great. Our duty, that oath that I mentioned earlier, our duty is to keep it so. You know, um, of course, when if someone were to say, we're going to change the law, so if someone is critical of the government, that's going to be against the law, and they can go to jail, and, and that's the case in, in other countries. Uh, some other countries in Myanmar, as I mentioned, right, and in so the Philippines. they're following the rule of law, right? Um, the, and the law is you can't uh, criticize the country. But as you point out, um, what's important is the people and the morality that's behind uh, those laws. Um, you you mentioned also in in one of your messages. Wow, you actually read my messages. I read That's very me, gratifying. I read your messages. You know, I always wonder. You know, we devote. Yeah, you know, you you were president of the of the state bar not long ago. Uh, you devote so much time trying to share your thoughts, and you hope that somebody out there is going to 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 read read and 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 perhaps even even be inspired a little bit. Well, there you know, there's inspiring words in there, and obviously you put a lot of thought into, it, and that's why I wanted to talk uh, about it. Uh, one of the things that's uh, concerning to me in one of your messages, you talk about the public's loss of confidence in uh, some of our institutions. And uh, I want to go into that a little bit. And uh, well, I think why right, do you think that is? Well, I think right now the, the um, uh, public has lost confidence in our fundamental institutions of government. When the President of the United States calls a duly uh, um, approved judge, federal judge, a so-called judge, that undermines confidence. When he makes a statement, we've got to find a way to uh, get rid of some of these judges who are appointed for life under the provisions in the federal government, in the federal um, uh, constitution, uh, that undermines confidence. When the president of the United States, you know, you remember when you were a kid, the president of the United States is like this god. And 
Um, I was talking to somebody the other day who has a five-year-old, and he happens to be a, a supporter of, of the president. And he said, the five-year-old or your friend? <laughs> no, my friend. And, and he said that when the president is, is on television, he has to turn the sound down because he's concerned that his five-year-old will hear the president. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, now in my son's vocabulary, you know, the word bullshit just comes out because he's emulating the president of the United States. Well, I think Miranda Warnings is a family show. I think we might have to we might have to bleep that out. Um, that's not true. That's not a family show, and we don't bleep <laughs> anything out. In one of your well, in that case, I'm going <laughs> to let it rip. You you quote Churchill in one of your um, messages, and you say to each there comes in their lifetime a special moment when they are figuratively tapped on the shoulder and offered the chance to do a very special thing unique to them and fitted to their talents. Um, do you consider your term as president to be considered that very special thing that's unique to you and your talents? That's a, a great question. This is a heck of a time to be a leader of our great and noble profession. And I like to think that um, to some extent, yes, this was my time. Um, I, uh, I don't know if my talents were uh, quite right for the job, uh, but I think that I, I, um, I came uh, from a background having been the leader of a, uh, a, a local bar, the New York County Lawyers Association, during a time of great crisis. Uh, our building is a, a half a block from ground zero, and um, uh, we, uh, I was, I was president-elect and president right before and during the aftermath of, of 9-11. Uh, so I, I'd been through uh, some experience with, with crisis, um, though very different kind of crisis, we, we are confronted by a moral crisis and a challenge the likes of which we have not seen, as I said before, in our lifetime. So I, I, I think that to a certain extent, I, uh, my, my past experience having led an important major bar association uh, during, during a difficult time uh, helped, helped me uh, in, in, in this important role. Let's talk about that time when uh, you led the New York County lawyers. That was in uh, 2001, during the uh, time when we had 9-11. Had an impact, obviously, on the, the area that your New York County lawyers building was and the people around it. Yeah, we were in what's, what was called the red zone, which was anything south of, of Canal Street. Um, you couldn't get there for the first several weeks after the attack unless you were uh, a first responder or had some very special uh, purpose. And uh, we didn't know that our building was still standing for, for a good bit because, you know, it wasn't one of the highest priorities uh, uh, to uh, determine, you know, whether the buildings were, were uh, what shape the buildings were in. And then afterwards, just as a practical matter, as a bar association, you know, nobody wanted to come back downtown in Manhattan. The smells of death lingered for more than a year. 
And uh, it was just, you know, gut-wrenching coming back there where thousands of people, innocent people going to work, um, perished. And so we we had a membership challenge. Uh, first, we didn't we we didn't get back into our building until June of two thousand two. They had to confirm that the foundation was still sound. We we, we had windows blown out and d- debris. It was really a mess, and dealing with insurance and then the 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 cleanup. Uh, was was a, a a major undertaking. So we actually reopened the um, uh, on uh, June first, uh, I believe it was, uh, uh, to um, uh, rededicate the building. And we had a a a, a membership crisis because people didn't want to come back downtown, and and uh, we understood that. Also, we didn't have our membership records. Uh, for, for quite some time because we had a second set of records that we kept off-site in a safe deposit box in uh, Chase Bank, which was in the sub-basement of Tower 2. So um, we didn't have access to them. We couldn't get to the building. Uh, we had to figure out how we could still be relevant. And, and it was actually, in some ways, the finest uh, hour of the bar. The City Bar of New York, the State Bar, all provided resources and help and assistance. We had staff members working out of law offices around the city. Uh, the, our library staff worked at the City Bar during that time. And uh, it, it, it was, but it was challenging. We are confronted today with very, a very different challenge here at the state bar, but, it's, but, but they are challenges nonetheless. Uh, going uh, to the digital age, bringing, bringing um, you know, we're very old school and bringing it into the modern age is a, is, is a, a big undertaking. We, we're, we're in the process of, of, of doing it. I think we're doing it very well. We have a superb uh, executive director who came to us, who actually came back to us. Uh, she worked, uh, Pamela McDevitt worked here for um, half a dozen or so years, then went to Chicago and worked for the American Bar Association. And now for the past three years has been back with us. And uh, she has in many ways been re- reinventing uh, the the association and our ability to deliver services to members and, and to the public. So we're approaching the end of your term. Um, what would you like to see as your legacy during your time as president of the New York State Bar Association? How do you like to be remembered? I would like to... I would like folks to feel that I left the association in a better place than when I found it, that we advanced important policy on wrongful conviction, on how judges, how judges who are, or candidates for judicial office are, are evaluated. Uh, we made contributions on um, efforts to um, uh, do uh, release planning for um, people who have been in, in, in incarcerated, um, that our uh, publications are better, are more focused, are more relevant. I've always said that membership 
has four R's, and everybody talks about you know recruitment and retention, but the most important R's uh, are relevance and relationships. That we are more relevant than we were when I um, started, and that we've developed stronger relationships with local bars around the state, with the court system. I think we have an excellent relationship with the leaders of the of the court system and with local bars from Buffalo to Rockland County to uh, Richmond County to S- Staten Island to uh, Long Island. I think that the relationships are stronger and sounder uh, than than they've ever been. And um, I, I like to think that I had something to do with that. Well, I was going to say your greatest legacy is going to be remembered as a president that uh, started the Miranda Warnings podcast. Uh, <laughs> would not have happened without uh, President Miller. And so, you know, your your legacy will live on uh, through these uh, podcasts. Well, as long as you live on, <laughs> because it is called the Miranda Warnings. It is. It's true. Um, I'm thinking for maybe for your post presidency, we could uh, you could do another you could do a podcast, uh, perhaps maybe Miller Time would be a good name for. Well, that sounds good. For, for I, you know, that's catchy. I kind of <laughs> like that. So, any plans beyond the presidency? What's next on the horizon for for Michael Miller? Well, I'm focusing. Uh, uh, Back on my practice, as you know, I'm a solo practitioner, and uh, I actually kind of miss some of the work uh, that that uh, goes along with being uh, solo. Not all of it, but uh, uh, I, I have a, um, a trust and estates practice, and, and uh, while it's still there, um, it misses me. It's calling out to me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to, to my practice. I'm also uh, considering uh, the um, 2020 election. I, I, as you know, I've been involved in other uh, national elections before, and I've been invited uh, to come back to Iowa, and uh, I'm considering it. But that, that'll be in a couple of months or so. We don't usually break news on Miranda warnings, but is there going to be is there a presidential announcement that you'd like to to make? Well, or though every if, announcement you make today will be considered a presidential announcement. Well, if you if you if you have me back in a couple of months, maybe I'll have an announcement. Tonight. All right. Well, that's very exciting. Um, is there anything you want to share about what's going on in national politics? Is there any any observations? There's a lot of it. Any observations? Observations, national politics. Um, well, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I'm a Democrat, and and I feel um, I did truly we break, did we understand. I don't think you've broken any news on that. I didn't always feel that way until I came to the last, you know, few weeks of my presidency. Well, you're only president of the New York State Bar Association for one year, but you will be past president forever. And... Uh, you can you'll be able to enjoy the the benefits of your past presidency uh, forever. Yes, I know the pension is substantial. <laughs> well, you know what, David, you'll always be Mr. President to me. Thank you. It it, it never gets old. <laughs> we do have a feature on Miranda warnings called music book or movie, uh, where you can share with us some 
something of artistic value to you that speaks to you? Is there anything you want to share with us in that realm? I'm still here. You are still here. That's a song. You're very entertaining as well. You going to sing it for us? No. You're allowed to sing on Miranda Warnings. Well, thank you. (laughs) I'll spare your listeners. So, uh, President Miller, he's still here on Miranda Warnings. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Miranda Warnings. I encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to Miranda Warnings, a NISVA podcast, available on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.